The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You want the good news, you want the bad news. I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man. You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet. You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun. Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. You know, I think the word addicted is, uh, it's, it's really very stretched. Used to be pretty much limited to a physiological habituation to some substance, but now addicted means kind of anything that is sort of taken over, it appears, your ability to remove yourself from the attraction. I used to be addicted to the hokey pokey, but I turned myself around. Okay, it's a dad joke. I tell dad jokes. Heading towards grandpa jokes, though. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. This is the Friday variant. I used to say version. Now you got to say variant because everything's a variant now. Friday variant of the doctor is in. You know, Lucy of Peanuts charges five cents with her little display of the doctor is in. I don't charge anything. So apparently Lucy Van Pelt of Peanuts fame is uh, more appealing in her advice than I am. It's okay. I will continue to dispense for free. On this program, on Look Back Friday version, I have a number of calls sitting up there on the call board from previous callers. And there are multiple reasons why a call, a past call, gets into the Look Back Friday bank of calls, potential calls. Uh, The most common reason is I'd like to say more about it. Obviously, this is not therapy. If it were therapy, you could explore it up one side and down the other. You could uncover motives. You could look at inconsistencies. You could see the thinking of the individual across a whole range of things. You could explore the thinking as it relates to the mood. All kinds of ways to analyze and come to hopefully helpful conclusions. On a radio program, you offer a thought or two, a nugget. You don't do therapy. But sometimes the call prompts in me something more I'd like to say. But because I'm limited by time, I can't. So I put it in the uh, look-back bank. Sometimes uh, the caller brings up a phrase or a word that that needs extrapolation, needs uh, embellishment, needs talked about in more detail. And I save that for a look-back call. Sometimes there's a direction I wanted to go in the call But the urgency of the direction the caller wanted to go confined me to going in that direction. So, all kinds of reasons why, and and we we will get to those. A lot of good calls sitting up there from the past. You've heard the phrase. She's so moody. 
He's just a moody guy. Moody. What does that mean? Moody. Kind of means you don't know what you're going to get in terms of their ups or downs. Teenagers in particular are called moody. One day they can be up, one day they can be down. And as an aside, this is one of the tragic reasons why I believe that bipolar is so heavily overdiagnosed. Bipolar is a particularly serious mental disorder. But what is happening is we've broadened it out so much that we're calling people who are moody, whose moods fluctuate, bipolar. Interesting study done by, I believe it was Harvard Medical School. And even Harvard had to conclude that uh, we're diagnosing bipolar way, way, way too much. So what is moody? You want to summarize it. If good things happen to me, I'm happy. If bad things happen to me, I'm sad. So let's say I come home from work and I had a particularly frustrating confrontation with an individual and that colors my whole evening. And I'm less talkative or retreating or worse, surly or not involved with my family. Next day I come home and I'm clearly in a different state, different emotional state. I'm upbeat. Why? Well, because I had something happen at work. Somebody complimented me. A few people came to me and uh, were, were particularly generous in their accolades about my performance and particularly my supervisor. So I, I, came, I came home pretty upbeat. Not at all like yesterday. But see, too much of that can, can get me the label moody. Moody so often is because we react. If good things happen, I'm happy. If bad things happen, I'm sad. And we are, we are a victim of events. St. Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Now, someone might say in America, how do you do that? Because we're a real how-to country. How do you do that? He said, I've learned to be content. In other words, the way he thinks about it. So the person who comes home after a particularly frustrating day at work, or, or that can be anything, after a visit with an unpleasant relative, any unpleasant circumstance, and that affects their demeanor for the next day, two, three, and it spills over into how they essentially treat other people. They may not be mean, but they're certainly not in any way reaching out and um, joyful. So they allow their mood to be dictated by what happens to them. Rather than sorting through what happens to them, rethinking it, pondering it in such a way that it doesn't affect nearly as much how they carry on in the next day or two with the people they love or the people around them. Because for someone to say you are moody means, if assuming they're accurate, 
means that they've had to see your ups and downs based upon circumstances. I don't want to be a victim of circumstances. I don't want to come into this program and what I give to you folks depends upon what's happened to me the previous day. I came in, now this is, someone might view as extreme. (laughs) Someone might even view it as callous and hard-hearted. I don't think it was. The night my father died, I was in Detroit, speaking to Legatus. Teresa Tamio brought me in. On the way home, got a call from my sister, and I knew Pop was very, very ill. He was, he was on his deathbed. We didn't know how much time he actually had. She said, Pop died. Pop passed away. The next day I came in here and did this radio show. I don't think you would have known it that my dad had died the night before. Did I love my dad? Oh, big time. Big time. Pop, he was he was just decent, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy of his generation. But I but I knew I I I I couldn't I couldn't have it affect me so much that I'd have to say, well, I'm not going to do the show. Now, now people would understand it. Of course they would. They'd say, well, look, Ray's not coming in this week because his, his father passed away. I, I, I would understand that. But I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to say, okay, I have a radio show to do. Moody essentially says you are allowing the frustrations, the disappointments, the irritations that happen to you in the normal course of events to pretty much determine how you're going to feel and act for the next set period of time. It is a rare person who can have the exact same mood whether good things happen to them or bad things happen to them. But it's not a rare person who can take the edge off so that they may not be quite feeling as upbeat after a disappointment. But it takes a lot heavier disappointment to pull down their mood noticeably. I'm Dr. Ray. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. 60 Seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. Take a look at our website, EWTN.com, and the old programs. I've so far gone through the uh, encyclicals on Jesus, which is Redemptor Hominis, on God the Father, Divas and Misericordia, and on the Holy Spirit, Dominum et Vivificantem, also the one on the Gospel of Life, Evangelium Vitae, and the one on Redemptoris Mater, Mother of the Redeemer. So I've gone through five of those, and you can get those off of our website. Uh, Again, the website is 
EWTN.com. And then when you go to libraries, what you can do is go to the audio library, and the audio library will have uh, the uh, old programs. You can, they're all there, and you can just access them that way. May God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I want you to have such confidence in the Lord that you'll find such hope and see the beauty of the Lord, the majesty of God. What did our Lord say, huh? If your sins are as scarlet, oh, what? What's going to happen? They shall be made white as snow. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Al Cresta is a very bright guy. And I personally think that part of his brightness comes from listening to this kind of music. So I asked Al, I said, hey, Al, can I, can I borrow some of your uh, bumper music? Raise my IQ a few points. And uh, Andrew Kruchek just pirated some of uh, Al Cresta's uh, more... Um, What's the word you're looking for when you have something? I wanted to be more sophisticated in my music tastes. Uh, let's see what we got up there. And from Michigan, as a friend, she says, is sick. Very miserably sick. But, again, Anne is the target of her friend's moodiness. I have a friend. We've literally been friends since almost five years old, and we're 65. We lived near each other. So we're practically family. We've been roommates, all kinds of things. But she is non-Christian. And lately, she's been diagnosed with COPD, and she is pretty ill. She's almost wheelchair-bound. And in the meantime, she's gotten so unpleasant and so difficult. I had a sick family member, so I couldn't give her much attention. And I just said, well, you're number four after my husband and my children. And, you know, then you can come up be on my list but i don't do a whole lot for her but she calls us just phone friends and the problem is you know i'm 65 myself although i'm considered healthy i don't have the same energy level and i have a lot of responsibilities with my own home and anytime we talk it's constant put downs constant insults complaining what a terrible friend i am uh how I just don't do anything for her. And if it were the other way around, she would have been cleaning my house, you know. And I'm really at the point I don't even want to read a text from her, and I'm shocked at my behavior. I'm considered pretty tolerant. Well, okay. Let's let's assume that you're not all these ugly things that she's accusing you of. Let's assume that she's becoming unhappy, maybe bitter, because at her age, uh, life has dealt her a heavy blow. So she's completely dissatisfied with where she is at age 65. Is That's that... a good synopsis. I oh, think you're right. correct about that. I, I, I consider myself a synopsizer. So <laughs> it also appears that your friendship has changed. When you were younger, shared a lot of activities together, did things together, you were youthful, you had zest. Is that safe to say? Absolutely. But she's gotten to be much more unhappy with life, and so she views you as abandoning her. 
You just haven't been care. You have what kind of friend are you? After all these years, she's been such a wonderful friend to you, and this is how you treat her. And you're saying even nicer than she does. Well, I try to be nice. I try to be nice here. <laughs> well, we can't know all the reasons why she's gotten so difficult. Could be she's bitter. Could be that the COPD is having some effect on her brain. She's getting a little less oxygen up there. Who knows? Who knows what's going on? Here's the question for you. What percentage of the time when you contact her would you say it's negative? It's in the 80s. <laughs> That's pretty high. <laughs> That's pretty high. Do you still want to contact her? Well, I feel like morally bound. She's knowing you're ready for death, and she's more mad at God than she ever was. And literally in second grade in Catholic school in my uniform, I used to try to talk about God, and then she tried and dilly-dallied in different uh, so-called Christian religions and never stuck with anything. I am concerned she's going to die for sure. Literally, this demon's dancing around her bed. She's been cursing God, literally, that he dealt her this hand. She's okay. never been, you know, in a good relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So she's just looking back on her life, and she's just bitter. Bitter. And part of it may be, Anne, that she looks at you. Oh, yeah, Anne. You have a husband. You have nice kids. Everything goes good for Anne, doesn't it? Is that any part of this? Nail on the head. Boy, I'm like like four for four here. Man, I better hang up right now before I say something that's not correct. The question is, how do I deal with it? Like, I feel a Christian-bound duty. On the other hand, I've got some of my own little problems, and it's quite a downer. I usually can rise above things. But, you know, my husband almost died twice in the last two years, one with COVID, one with a heart attack. It's not like I'm sitting around with nothing to do tooling my thumbs. I try to be a daily communicant, and that's hard enough, and she lives about a half hour away. But by the time I drive there, drive back, do the littlest thing for it, it feels like I'm gone most of the day, and I haven't done what I'm supposed to do at home. Your life has changed too, Anne. You're not 38 years old anymore. So as a result, you're, you're contending with some significant changes in your own life, which is taking your time and energy, both of which you have less of, take her in low doses. In other words, if you call her, know that she's going to start complaining, she's going to start hammering at you, and then you say, well, I just called to say hello, and, and I hope you're doing well. And don't stay on the phone for 47 minutes and let her go on and on and on. Don't do it. Get off. You're not helping her. That's not, that's not a good moral obligation. I'm going to call, and I'm going to let you berate me for 47 minutes. There, I've done my Christian obligation. That's no such thing. Okay, so that's the first thing. Secondly, if you do go see her, and those visits are extremely unpleasant, and there isn't really a closeness there, and all it does is bring out in her more resentment and bitterness, then basically make those visits fewer and farther between. And when you do go... Start asking her, why are you, tell me why you're so, so unhappy. And maybe that'll give you an opening to say, so has God ever played a part in your life? Do you even believe in him? Go ahead. What do you got to lose? You might as well ask those tough questions because she doesn't like you anyway. I had a friend who told me that one of the things his mom did was that when he came around, 
the first thing she said was criticism for him not coming around. Now, one might say, well, I don't know how much he came around. He came around enough. He didn't come around as much as she wanted him to come around. He was an adult. He was living his own life. And her idea of how much he should come around was different than how much he, he had time to come around, legitimately. But what the effect was, he didn't want to hear this. He didn't want to hear initially how bad a son he was when he did go visit. Now, that is one of the easiest ways to stop people from coming around you when you think they don't come around you enough. That's like rejecting an apology when you want more apologies, but when you get an apology, you reject it. So, given that, this is what her friend is doing. So, whether she calls her friend, or her friend calls her, or there's a visit, one of the first things that happens is she hears what a bad friend she is. I would want to say to this lady, and and maybe our caller should say that, it's very hard for me to, to want to come around and talk to you when you tell me how bad a friend I am. Now, I got a feeling the friend is going to say, well, that's just the way I feel. And, you know, that's what you do. And she'll just jump on it rather than saying, I'm sorry, I don't mean to do that. I'll, I'll try to stop it. So I, I would bet she's not going to apologize. But she could still and could still say this. You know, if you want me to come around more, you got to you got to quit criticizing me. It sounds as though this woman who essentially says you need to meet my needs and act the way I want you to act, given at this point in my life where I am physically and emotionally. If Anne would want to lessen the calls what she could do is continue to find openings like this. Well, do you think a lot of your misery is the fact that you have no relationship with God? Oh, don't start that, Anne. Well, that's if that's how she's going to respond, I would say her friend is not going to stay on the phone quite as long. But Anne could look for those openings. Why not? What has she got to lose? So... The question becomes, is it Christian to listen to someone either complain constantly or berate you because you're falling short in meeting their needs? And we, we're a very needy culture. Meet my needs. And if you don't meet my needs, you're a bad person. And worse, those of you who call yourselves Christian are really bad people, you hypocrite, because you're not meeting my needs. You know, our Lord was pretty much focused on the hard needs. Shelter, food, clothes, illness, isolation, the hard needs. Uh, he didn't seem to talk all that much about the idea of if you have a friend who's kind of complaining or demanding or saying, you need to do what I want you to do, or you're not a good person. I, I just got to believe that he wouldn't put that high on the list of how to be charitable. 
there are there are times when I've had relationships with folks in an informal way who initially asked for some help or guidance as a friend and then they continued and continued and continued and it got to the point where I dreaded their calls because they weren't interested in any solutions as the country song said you can feel bad if it makes you feel better so I think it's a real confusing place to be in if you say to yourself as a Christian should I have an unlimited ability to absorb criticism and complaining with Teresa Tomio. That idea of suffering is one of the reasons many people either turn away from God or they ignore faith altogether because they cannot comprehend or wrap their heads around suffering and all the suffering in the world. This is an issue for you and it's it's an issue for all of us from time to time when we go through rough situations to say, Lord, what do you want me to learn about suffering? Ask the Lord to help you understand the meaning of suffering. God doesn't waste his time with anything. Whatever you go through, he will use if you allow him to use it. And you look at the greatest evil, right? The killing of God, Jesus, the Son of God on the cross. And what came out of that? Our salvation. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. What is the life of our heart? The Catholic Catechism answers prayer is the life of the new heart. It ought to be the source of our animation at every moment, but we tend to forget the one who is our all. The fathers of the spiritual life in the Deuteronomic and prophetic tradition say that prayer is a remembrance of God often awakened by the memory of the heart. We are to remember God more often, says the Catechism, than we draw breath. We cannot, however, pray at all times if we have not learned to pray at specific times. The tradition of the Church proposes morning and evening prayer, grace before and after meals, the liturgy of the hours, Sundays centered on the Eucharist, the cycle of the liturgical year with its great feasts as the basic rhythms of the Christian's life of prayer. There are three major expressions of prayer, vocal, meditative, and contemplative. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Uh, They were saying a little bit on this program that we need to uh, be a little more local give some information that might help you on a daily basis so i figured i'm, I'm gonna get into the weather you know uh so my first forecast uh dark uh continued to dark continued to uh dark tonight uh turning to partly light in the morning so there you go you can have it uh on this look back friday let's uh go to diana from georgia i have a grandson 
one of them. I, we actually have Ken. But um, he's always been a pretty good kid. Um, temporary, even as a small uh, child, he always had a temper. But um, recently, within the last year and a half or so, maybe two years, he started with the vaping thing and has progressed on now to some marijuana. Uh, he did get expelled from a wonderful school where he was on the football team. They wow. gave him the chances. Oh, yeah. They then uh, put him in a private school, which he was asked to leave as well. Um, a, no no police involvement so far, none, no legal problems, but we're concerned about him. And his um, parents wonderful parents he has a two-year-old older brother who's wonderful doing great starting his first year in college this year uh no problems there my question is when my grandson gets caught and they find you know his materials a couple of days ago in fact uh, once again he confronts them with you do whatever you want to do i'm not i'm not stopping you can't stop me I'm not stopping this. I'm doing it. Well, he's yeah. right, Diana. He is right. They can't totally stop him. He's 17 years old. However, my question for them would be, if they were sitting in my office, I would say, well, what have you done to supervise him? Because obviously he doesn't do this at home, so he's doing it out and about, correct? Yes. And they obviously let him go out and about. How are they going to prevent him from going out the door? What's he, he going to do? Out. See, here, here, you're now, and this, you broadened this issue out when you said he's been expelled from two schools. Yes. In other words, this is a kid that's basically, it sounds like, from what you're describing, out of control. He's out of control. Yes. And the, the dope smoking, which is illegal and dangerous, mm -hmm. uh, he's doing. And he's probably hanging with a bad group. He probably doesn't care about school. He's probably seriously difficult. How close is he to 18? He will only, I'm, I'm sorry, I misspoke, he will be 17 in October. Oh, okay. Yes, he's not 17 quite yet. He does not drive. They will not even consider letting mm -hmm. him get a driver's license. So thankfully, that they, they were able to control. But um, he works. So if he uh, walks out the door, when they say that you can't be out of our sight, and he walks out the door, what would they do? That's my question. They don't know what they would do? What can they do if he walks out the door? Well, they can, their they can call the cops. Yeah, yeah. Now, That's my suspicion is they don't want to do that. Of course. Right. Because, you know, it shuts a lot of doors once that happens. But on no, the other hand... No, it doesn't. I mean, the, the, if they believe that he is engaging in dangerous behavior... Yeah. And smoking I marijuana that. now is dangerous behavior because you can't know what's in it. It's very potent, and there is exactly. evidence that it can lead to a psychosis. So, exactly. given that, they're basically saying we can't stop him, Right. Right, yes, correct. So what do That's you do? Exactly. Then you have to do the only thing you can do, and if you find that he's 
find those drugs in the house or know that he's doing that, then you do call the police and report it and let him worry about it from there. And, and it's, it's very discouraging. Talk to the parents because they might want to get some guidance from their local juvenile court on what to do about some of these things as parents, what their options are. This is a scenario that was far, far less common, say, two, three generations ago in our culture. These out-of-control teenagers who completely resist parental guidance or authority. They want to do what they want to do. They, we live in a culture that uh, essentially says, here, here's all your options, here's your opportunities, here's your hedonism, here's your materialism, here's your pleasure, and uh, your parents are standing in the way. If those folks were to come to my office, one of the first things I would explore is, one, is their marital agreement. You'd be surprised how many times there's not. One parent wants to take a certain stand, the other parent refuses and will not. Two, what have they tried so far? I typically find that as this was brewing, you know, this kid didn't all of a sudden get to the point where he's kicked out of two schools. He will walk out the door and say, the heck with you guys, I'll do what I want. You can't stop me. So how, how, how did it get up to that point? What did they do two years ago? To, to stop this onslaught. Three, what are they doing now? I, I'm kind of surprised a lot by how many parents, when they say my child is essentially out of control, th they don't do what they could do. For example, he's got money, so he's using his money to, to buy dope, obviously. I would assume he still has a smartphone. There's no question. He's You'd be surprised how many of these parents tell me this kid is out of control, but he's got a smartphone. It's kind of like it's kind of like allowing somebody in prison to have his cell phone so he can keep the business going that he was put in prison for. So that's another thing. But grandma, grandma made a point. Grandma said. He, they, they, when I remember when I mentioned they could call the cops, she immediately recoiled. So, oh, and she was saying in between the lines, her parents don't want to do that. The kids' parents don't want to do that. Why? Because they don't know what would happen. Would they lose control over his direction? What would, where would he go? What would he do? Well, the, the, the fact of the matter is he'd probably just be put on probation almost always the first time around unless he's a violent offender unless he's punched his mom three times and they said okay this is bad we can't we can't we can't tolerate this but short of that they're going to put him on probation and he's going to have to follow probation so the question becomes if the parents can't stop him at this age at age 16 will they want to go in a direction that will stop him that's the question. But, Dr. Ray, that comes with risks. Well, it may, but his conduct is coming with severe risks. It isn't just the marijuana. You know it. Probably the groups he's hanging with are doing a lot of other things that are dangerous. Sometimes it gets to the point where parents don't have good options. They have to choose the less bad one.
Now, Catechism Wisdom with me, Dr. Ray Garendi, and Father Larry Richards. Father Larry, church talks a lot about charity, right? Let me read to you something that the Catechism says, section 2447. The works of mercy are charitable actions by which we come to the aid of our neighbor in his spiritual and bodily necessities. Instructing, advising, consoling, comforting are spiritual works of mercy. My profession says that we need to have people meet our needs. Now, this here seems to be a little, I don't want to say antagonistic, but maybe contrary to that. The way of the world says me, me, me. The way of God says you, you, you. And when we sit there and we focus on the reality, it's in giving away your life, Jesus says, you find life. That is so anti-world, isn't it? I serve to feel better? Exactly. That That's where we get everything. It's in giving away your life that you find life. That's the cross. That's the way of Christianity. That's contrary to conventional wisdom. Yeah, and that's the point. <laughs> okay. Well, enough said there. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, catechism puts things on Absolutely. its head according to conventional wisdom. Absolutely. Jesus comes and changes the world and turns the world upside down and says, you want life, then you give away life. And it's in that that we find true life. It's in serving that we become more fully who we are. As God left heaven, if you will, became a man and gave his life for us. And when we do the same, just as he found eternal life in his humanity, so will we. A life of self is a wasted life. God says, I'll take care of number one. You take care of others. And when you give away and you live a life of service, that's when you're going to find life. So others are number one. You got it. I have a thing that says... uh, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. The life of joy, huh? That's the exact opposite of what the world says. But when you do that, you will have a joyful life. doctor gave me some cream for my skin rash. He said I was a site for psoriasis. You people aren't paying for this. Well, you are indirectly. You're supporting your local station, but thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Ray. Program Doctor is in Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Co-production, Ave Maria Radio Communications and the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This is Look Back Friday, where we take previous calls. And I get to extrapolate and expand. Uh, Sierra from uh, Indiana, caught between the proverbial rock and the hard place. It's an ongoing issue. It's been going on for years now. Uh, They just have very different personalities. And my aunt also has, like, a lot of chronic health problems. But um, my, my mom and my aunt and I are all pretty close, and we talk just about every day. We all live in the same neighborhood. And my mom tells me daily that this is like one of the biggest stresses in her life, that she loves her sister so much, but there's like communication issues between them like every day. And it's partly that my aunt is like, and I don't want to sound biased toward my mom. I mean, (laughs) I'm trying not to take sides here. I think I'm somewhat objective looking in from the outside, but um, my aunt is like, very reluctant to ever admit that like she needs help or that um, her opinions might need revising (laughs) and so like there are a lot of times where she and my mom just butt heads 
and but there's like no way to get through to my aunt um i don't know uh, she's just very strongly opinionated and so like and she she does this thing where she'll she'll call at the beginning of my mom's day and like figure out what my mom is doing that day and then offer a bunch of suggestions for how to spend her time and also like so my mom my aunt doesn't have children my mom has several um i'm one of them and so my aunt has a lot of ideas for like how i could spend my time as well and like things i could be doing i don't know just a lot of like kind of interfering type stuff and it's like um anytime we try to confront or say anything it's met with very very sharp resistance and it's just like it's so painful because we love her so much and we know like she's physically hurting and all that, but we don't really know how to, I don't know. I guess we need more boundaries, but it's just, it's really complicated. And I'm sorry if that's not clear. It's very clear, Sierra, but you did say something at the outset of the call that confused me. You said we're Mm -hmm. all three of us are very close. But my aunt is yeah. probably the most difficult person in my my mother's life. Yeah. So I don't understand really how you can be close when you relate so poorly with someone. I can understand you can love yeah. them in a, in a Christian committed kind of way, but that doesn't mean they're easy to get along with. And you've right. got to be easy to be get along with to be close to somebody, don't you? Yeah. All right, so yeah, that, we cleared that up. We're close, like we have a lot of commonalities. Um, a lot yeah, you, you all fight together. That's a good one. Together. That's a good one. <laughs> you all argue together. Well, yeah, I will yeah, give I you, like... I will give you an analogy. Okay. When I used to play the organ and entertain in supper clubs, mm-hmm. most of the time the managers, the owners, would come up and they would tell you what they wanted you to play and how they wanted you to play it. And, of course, I would smile and nod and then play it exactly what I wanted. Not because I was stubborn and defiant, but because I knew the business better than they did as far as music goes. Your aunt, now you said another interesting thing, my dear. You said, and I quote you, for years, quote, unquote, for years, your aunt resists any kind of guidance or feedback or suggestions or counters. Is that safe to say? Yeah. So why do you and your mom still do that? Still do what? Give her guidance and feedback and counters. Why? Yeah, actually, we, we, we don't as much as we used to. <laughs> I wouldn't say so. a word to this woman on how to run her life. Yeah. If she's complaining and I want to I want to make it better so she doesn't complain, I still wouldn't say a word. Yeah. For remember remember the quote. For years. It yeah. is real clear that when you or your mom try to quote unquote help her, it's going to be thrown back in your face. Right. I think actually what's more of a problem nowadays is not so much like us countering her, but like everything she says is always something like for us to do. It's like very super involved in our business. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like she would stop Mm -hmm. doing that to us because I guess we could just completely ignore this. Yes. That's why I drew (laughs) the analogy of me playing at the supper clubs. I nodded and smiled and did what I wanted. Yeah. 
People right. call this. The people send me emails, and they tell me how to uh-huh. do the show. You need to do this. You need to say this. They do that all the time. I write back and I say thank you for the input. Thank you for your feedback. And if it's a good thing, I I consider it. And if it's right. way off, I say thank you for your input, and then I do what I want. And I think yeah. that you and your mom to not fight with your aunt when she gives her suggestions. You just go, okay, thank you, and then do what you want. Okay. You are butting your heads against the cinder block wall. Yeah. You are. That's how it feels. Yeah. Well, surely. Yes, this is true. <laughs> Because this is the way the dynamic goes with your aunt. She's just a difficult person. I think Sierra made a comment at the very beginning of her call that was a parallel to something I hear often from parents. As they begin to describe a litany of a lot of difficult behavior, they preface it by saying, but, but overall he's a pretty good kid. And Sierra said something similar. She said, well, I'm, I'm trying not to take sides. And I don't want to sound biased. Well, wait. Why Why do you think it's biased to talk about the reality as you see it? Recognizing that uh, you're subjective, but yet at the same time, if this has been a pattern for years, which Sierra says it has been, is it biased to say this is the pattern? Does it mean you're not being Christianly loving? to say this is how I size up this situation. I wrote a book called Thinking Like Jesus, The Psychology of a Faithful Disciple. In the book, I had a chapter called Close the Book. Now, it wasn't referring to the book itself. It was referring to a relationship exactly like Sierra's describing. Now, It doesn't mean close the book as in shun the individual. It means close the book on your expectations. Woven throughout what Sierra was describing was this. Why does she have to be this way? She continues to be this way. We've tried to reason with her. We've tried to talk to her, but she's this way. Years, she's this way. Closing the book means to come to the realization that this is who the person is. This is how they act. This is what they say. This is what they do. She's going to give all kinds of guidance and advice that's unasked for when you talk to her. That's what she does. And if you attempt to, quote unquote, put boundaries on her opinion, she just gets angry. So I think you ought to go silent. As soon as she starts giving you all kinds of advice that you don't want, just go silent. And then you say, well, thank you. I'll consider it. And that's it. And you might have to cut some of these conversations short, too. Because if you don't have the time to go on and on and on on the phone, who somebody's going to tell you how to run their life, you have every right in the whole world to just cut the conversation short. That's not being unchristianly. Sierra said an interesting thing, and she said it twice, how much they love her. She said, we really love her. And then later she said, we love her so much. Understand that, and if you're defining love to mean we care about her well-being, we care about her welfare, we pray for her, it doesn't mean she's relatable. 
It doesn't mean she's easy to get along with. It doesn't mean she's pleasant to talk to because the conversation could take a turn within a sentence. So given all that, I think Sierra is frustrating herself because she keeps waiting for her aunt to come to a realization that some of the stuff she does is very off-putting, and she's not. And she said something very significant again. She used the word years. So, yeah, you could love her. Certainly. You can wish the best for her. You can pray for her. You can send her a Christmas card. You can be nice to her. You can invite her to family gatherings. But you do not expect her to be any different than she is. And if you don't expect her to be different than she is, you won't get as frustrated. You'll just simply let most of what she says go in one ear and out the other To use my mother's favorite phrase when all kinds of people told you things you didn't want to hear. And move on. So, don't let this go in one ear and out the other, Dr. Ray. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything? Even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. We can't understand what's going on in America if we don't recognize that America has come under the sway of a false god. America is now controlled by a twisted understanding of freedom. It's my right, and I'll do what I want. We were definitely made to exercise freedom, but it's freedom under God. It's freedom to do as we ought, not freedom to do as we wish. We were not created to exercise self-will, self-law, self-rule, apart from God our Creator. America's emphasis on individual autonomy is an idolatrous distortion, even a replacement of the original American ideal of ordered liberty. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Good to be with you. Dr. Ray Garendi here. Program Doctor is in. Last segment, not a whole lot of time at all on this segment. Don't don't have anywhere near enough time to get out of the call in. So let's go to C.S. Lewis. He says in the letters of C.S. Lewis, copyright or release date April of 1959. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. 
Boy, does he hit me in the head with that one. Oh, yeah. Every time, every time I say to God, dear Lord, your will be done. Do with me what you will. There's always the unspoken, well, I'm a little nervous about that. Uh, hopefully what you will isn't to make me suffer too much. Of course. Isn't that human? We are, we are wired that way. We are, we are wired to avoid suffering. And even though our Christian faith tells us to embrace it when it comes, we don't run toward it. Come on, you got to admit, maybe you're like me. When you're praying for the Lord's will, you just got to wonder, what, well, okay, what, what's the will going to be? I sure hope it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd like that. I remember when I was in the evangelical world, I forget if it was a song or or a meme or something that said, Dear Lord, use me how you need me, but please don't send me to Africa. <laughs> it's like, okay, if you need you in Africa, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't send me to Africa. I guess maybe the best way to approach this is to say, well, if it comes and it's not what I would have chosen, Lord, help me to embrace it. <laughs> help me not to run from it. Help me not to shake in my boots about it. Help me to not live in ongoing doubt that I can handle this. <laughs> Give me the strength to accept it. That's a big one. There are parents listening who have had children who have had severe developmental handicaps. They would they would not have said to the Lord, please give me a developmentally handicapped child. They wouldn't. But they have said to the Lord, use our family as you will. Now, was it the Lord's will? Well, I don't know. Things just happen in life in our fallen world, but... Would it be the Lord's will that they embrace this? Yes. And many of them will tell you later they never would have dreamed that this child, who in the abstract they would have feared having a child like this, would have feared their own limits of handling this kind of stress. They were shocked at how much blessing this child brought to their lives and how they rose to being the kind of parents that would not only love this child, but to totally revel in having this child in their lives. They never knew that. They never guessed that. But the Lord knew it. He knew they could do that. He knew them better than they knew themselves. They embraced his will. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In on this Look Back Friday. Thank you, Andrew Kruchek, for all you do over there in Ann Arbor. And thanks to all of you for your kind attention. Walk with God. Now, that's his will. Walk with God and see what happens along the way. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.